What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Almighty Podcast. This is Mike Atkins from NerdsOrNark.com, and I am joined by... Adam from BackPatioNetwork.com. And we are here to cover four more episodes of My Hero Academia Vigilantes as we march towards the end of the final performance arc in anticipation of the return of the anime on March 27th and our first episode covering the fifth season of said anime. We're very excited about that. And come, bringing back-to-back-to-back-to-back content has been uh, quite the adventure for us this month. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, it's it's really cool getting to, like, progress through the storyline pretty quickly. Normally, we're, we're not really making this much headway. So I think we've only got eight more chapters in this storyline because we've got this week's or this coming week's in the followings, right? Yeah, and I think maybe next the the next series of chapters might be shorter. It might not even be four. It might be three. Yeah, um, I'd have to look that back up. Uh, but yeah, this this episode that we're recording now will go live on the twenty second. Then we will have the conclusion of the final performance arc go live on the twenty ninth, and then again mid or late of that week we will release a, a MST three K kind of uh, commentary watch along styled uh, coverage for episode one of the fifth season of my hero. And then we'll take feedback from that. Just trying something different because we're excited and we want to cover it as quickly as we can. And then we'll probably return to our two episodes at a time coverage because that that's, that's our comfort zone. That's our thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, what do you say we jump into these uh, four chapters, man? Cause they were freaking awesome. I'm for it. So chapter 79 or episode 79 was named number two hero. When we left off, we were in, uh, well, I say we pop step, what seemed like she was about to be in dire straits because Endeavor is ready to absolutely burn her to a crisp. And so we left off with Endeavor just ready to wreck her. We start open this chapter though, with a really funny scene because all of our vigilantes are stuck in traffic. (laughs) How mundane. (laughs) It felt very like, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, but they're stuck in traffic and it's pretty epic because Koichi is just like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and go on. So he does. He starts jumping from car to car and uh, even uh, Rapt is like, man, look at him go. I like to think his voice is kind of high pitched. Uh, but all of a sudden <laughs> over the intercom, like all these intercoms across the city, it seems like there's just this loud alarm or siren going off. And we find out that it is a way, I guess, for the heroes to communicate to, I don't, I couldn't tell if they were communicating to other heroes or if this was just a general like alarm system that the city had set up saying like, Hey, everybody, al- heroes are coming, but compass kid and rock pretty much explain that like, Oh, that's the siren. And that pattern specifically means that a hero team is about to be deployed. Yeah. I couldn't tell if this was even a citywide thing. It looks like one of Endeavor's sidekicks just has a large megaphone like device. And that's where the siren sound is emanating from. Is that all it is? I- okay. It, I, yeah, like there's a panel a little bit later on where this this is a member. This is one of the, the things I wanted to bring up. So Endeavor's sidekicks have an official title. They're called the Flaming Sidekickers. And we've actually seen a couple of them before, even in the movie. Um, a couple of these guys that we see, not the female. So the female's name is Mo Kamiji. The other two, Kido and Onima, they were both in Two Heroes, I think. Uh, and we've seen them also during the Stain arc very briefly. They were up okay. there when Endeavor was coming to, uh, coming into town to whip some Nomu behind. What about the so, horse? No, Ponyta was not there. So, okay. and I couldn't, I didn't see him actually listed in the Flaming Side Kickers actually. Um, but yeah, he, he, he was new too. So po- uh, Mr. Samurai Ponyta guy was new. That character, um, I was, <laughs> well, he's something. 
Yeah, he's cool. I like his design a lot. I do too. But as, as soon as I saw him, I thought of Pokemon. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like so anyway, the Mo Kamiji lady later on in this, it might even be in this episode, is like shown, depicted on a roof with this loudspeaker by her side. So I don't think it was a citywide thing. Okay. And I think that's also maybe backed up by the fact that Compass Kid had to refer to like a cheat sheet to what the different signals could mean. Um as if Endeavor's agency was brought in and he said, hey, we have this system. This is how we work. My sidekicks go in. They use this horn to signal any other heroes in the area. Here's what that code is. I know it. You know, um, so that's that's the impression that I got. If it is a citywide thing, this is the very first time we've ever seen anything like it implemented. That's what I thought. Like, it kind of reminded me of something that you would see in like One Punch Man, but it's not something we've seen in My Hero before. So because, uh, you know, in One Punch Man, they sort of have the like huge announcement like this is a god level attack or a you know whatever kaiju level attack uh so but yeah that this was the first time that we've seen anything like that so i guess you're right and you know now that you say that i think i thought this was pop in both panels on this page but it's actually pop and then the female from sidekickers that is holding so i think you're absolutely right yeah it must just be from her and you know the worst part about compass kid having that cheat sheet is the fact that rock namura is right there next to him who we know is six so he's in on everything that's going on everything the heroes is do are doing like he just he is totally aware of the entire situation and has complete control of what's going on it is crazy how like yeah. in tune this guy is for a villain inside information i mean he, this is infiltration is what this is yeah it's pretty crazy uh, but in these series, we've covered like half of this chapter. It seems like back and forth. But but in this series, I really like the fact that, that we get a quick quirk breakdown for Compass Kid. It just says quirk pointer points in the direction of people, places or things he's searching for. And he like spins up real quick to look for anyone that might actually still be in the town that haven't managed to flee yet. And so Which he's just it's so dumb. I mean, <laughs> it, it is because like, he can only detect three people. I'm yeah, sure there's yeah. probably hundreds, right? Yeah, and he's just like, he says quite a few still. I'm like, dude, you can only point at three. Like, yeah. that's not even my definition of a few. <laughs> There's bound to be more than three. He runs off, though. Tally-ho, rock. Yeah, he's so gung-ho. I still like the guy. But yeah, I was like, what a useless application of this particular quirk. Like, how many people are probably still unevacuated from this particular region? I can guarantee you it's more than three. This brought up a question for me. Do you think that there are times where certain heroes are not allowed on scene? Like, I don't know who would determine that. I don't know if it would be the agency or like someone above them. But if, if someone was like, you know, Compass Kid, we appreciate your effort, but this really isn't the time for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like there's some gatekeeping. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To, to, yeah. To, to the, maybe the, uh, the tier of hero that might be uh, eligible to participate in certain levels of activity or threat there'd have to be i would imagine because otherwise you'd get folks like compass kid trying to do some like crazy level well maybe not i don't know this just seemed like one of those weird moments where i'm like he doesn't seem like the kind of hero that should be there nah i mean i i as much as i like him i i definitely agree uh, but we do transition into a ser uh, panel from here where it's endeavor and squelchy talking about what's going to happen and it's really funny because so Quachi is talking to him, trying to explain like, hey, this is what's going on. We think with B, it seems like they're not B, but Pop Step. Uh, it seems like it might have something to do with everything that's been going on in the Naruhata uh, area as far as these like pop up villains and remodel villains. And even some of his text is overwritten by what I assume is Endeavor grunting or doing something because he's just like open your eyes. This is a villain and we're absolutely going to burn her to the ground. 
<laughs> like it, this calls for annihilation by wide scale assault is what he says. And uh, Sokalchi is just like, man, just bring her in. That's all we need. Don't go overboard. I like uh, too that when Endeavor refers to Pop Star Step, he his little caption is Pop Star Step. He yeah. doesn't say. <laughs> I just I'm ch- it, nobody says Pop Star Step, but the w- when anybody says Pop Step that that star is included is just a fun touch in my opinion. You definitely imagine that's what they're it, like seeing in their head when they're saying it because you can't not see the the star. Even I do it. Like yeah. when I take notes, I see it in my head. Yeah, yeah. The next page we see the. The four members that are there from the Flaming Sidekickers. Uh, so from top to bottom, you have Kido, and then you have Onima. Those are the two that we've seen elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Then you have Samurai Ponyta, and then you have uh, the Moe, uh, Mo uh, Kamiji. And this is where you can see where it looks like she was the one holding that uh, signal signaling device, that uh, bullhorn-looking thing, as she throws it down and says that it's time to contact Endeavor, and they all set off uh, various kinds of flares. It looks like Ponyta just uh, uses his mane to flare up. Um, you know, she uses her hair, it looks like. It looks like Kido has pulled out some paper bomb-looking things. And then it just looks like uh, Onima just has some sort of, like, wrist-mounted flamethrower that he fires off into the air, and Endeavor sees all of this, and he's like, all right, it's time to do this thing. And do this thing does. It's crazy. So he he almost like combines two super moves, it looks like, because he, he does a karmic raise and then he transforms it into a hellfire storm. It's pretty epic. I mean, he like flames on and then takes these flames and creates this massive flame twister. And he punches it down the street and it's this massive fire twister. It's going down and the flame, the flame kickers are getting flaming sidekickers are getting all of the joy out of this, seeing their boss go to work. They've, they're smirking as this thing is advancing down the streets. And initially, Sukauchi is freaking out. But then he realizes that Endeavor seems to have a tremendous amount of control over this, that he's basically funneling it down a roadway um, and that the buildings on the side basically create a breezeway or an alley uh, by which and through which this thing is traveling steadily towards B-pop. But it does get interrupted. On its way, it's doing its job. Uh, these bees that are around B-Pop are, are uh, getting caught up in the flames and just kind of popping. Um, I thought it was kind of strange that here and, and later on when Koichi is handling them, that they don't actually explode. They just kind of fizzle out into much smaller, like little puffs of smoke, like clones from Naruto. Mm-hmm. Um, but it continues to move towards B-Pop until uh, Kamiji shouts Endeavor's name, telling him that he needs to cut this thing out because there's another player in the field. And this pisses Endeavor off. Yeah, it's pretty epic because he like closes his fist and immediately that twister just evaporates. And I mean, he you can tell he had insane amounts of control over this thing. And he turns around and he's like, can you explain who this twig of a hero who dares get in my way? And uh, the next panel is Koichi just like, I mean, zooming in as fast as he can. And Sukalchi's like, no, that's no hero. That's the Naruhata Vigilante, the crawler. It's pretty cool seeing someone get his name right in a moment like this when he really is being heroic, you know? It is really cool. But if I had been on scene, like standing slightly beside or behind Sukalchi, like I would have been slapping my hands over his mouth in the midst of this explanation of his, because he's telling the truth, mm-hmm. but it's the last thing that Endeavor needs to hear. Like of all people, Endeavor doesn't need to hear, that's no hero, that's a vigilante. 
and Endeavor reacts exactly like you would expect he would. He says, a vigilante, you say. He's all emphasizing that with italics inside of his caption bubble. And he says, some scumbag playing hero without a license sounds like a villain to me. So the, those two terms are synonymous. Could you imagine like Endeavor in Gotham City? Oh, like, geez. <laughs> how, how well that would go for Batman? Yeah, no joke. I mean, Endeavor is so black and white. He doesn't see like... He doesn't see any leeway with these at all. I mean, he's talked multiple times about how Pop Step is nothing but absolutely villainous and she must be eradicated. And now Koichi is who is just going in trying to like save Pop is the same level as her. You know what I mean? There's no varying degrees at all. I mean, he doesn't right. even stop to think what else could be going on. So it's crazy, man. And I'm just I mean, this is one of those series of chapters where I'm I'm reading this and I'm just thinking, I'm glad Endeavor's on our side. Like cuz he would make a pretty devastatingly dastardly villain. Yeah, I mean, he would. He, he just he even looks scary. Even the police, like Sukauchi's like, "All right, let's let's scale it back a little bit, pal." Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's trying to rein in Endeavor because Endeavor is 100% gung-ho, black and white like you're saying. And he's he's rushing right in to solve all these problems, vigilante and villain, all at the same time. Well, and that's going to lead us into episode 80, which is called Who's the Villain? It's kind of neat, too, because we're able to see in the current series where Endeavor is at trying to become the number one hero and having to change his mind and have kind of that, you know, difference of opinion compared to where he is now or what, what we're reading. I mean, I think that one of the things keeping him from being the number one hero was being able to see like that gray area. You know what I mean? Like All Might does things in a way that he's able to take out the bad guy and not look evil doing it. Whereas Endeavor, from what we've been able to see, it seems like he's almost looks like a bad guy taking out other bad guys. I mean, he's scary. He's terrifying. Everyone around him doesn't doesn't want to be near him. So it's crazy to see him in this scenario. He's even worse than what we're used to. Um, but I do remember being really excited. And like when, when he showed up on the scene when the Nomus were attacking the city and, and Stain was out on the field. The, the way that he went about just doing his job, I was like, I mean, I can see why this guy is just able to hand bus handle business. And we know, isn't it true, or am I misremembering this, that he actually had like a better capture slash arrest slash, you know, um, taking care of villain business record than even All Might did. He was just less popular, less liked. Isn't that true? I don't know if that's true or not. I don't I don't remember that. I think that was true of uh, him and uh, what's the guy's, uh, the Hawks. I think that was true of him and Hawks, but I don't think that was true of him and All Might. Okay. Well, we pick up in chapter 80 with one of my, this is just another fun touch. So Endeavor has kind of exhausted himself. He's reached one of the physical limitations of his own quirk. And so he starts to wobble and goes down on all fours. And he just has a team of people that are equipped with fire extinguishers that come and put out the rest of his flames and cool him off. Yeah, it's pretty and, cool. Yeah. I mean... It's kind of neat that he has those. I guess it more quickly gets him to a place where he can actually rest and recover. And this isn't the only time we see him. Uh, they come back into play, rushing onto the scene. Actually, they're they're in tow behind Endeavor after his little timer resets at the very end of our last chapter. And I was like, man, those guys, their job is to just run around behind Endeavor so that when he drops to all fours, they just put him out. <laughs> That's yeah. their entire job. That's a pretty epic job to have, though. Uh, I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine having to be the one to like impress Endeavor or keep him, you know, happy. Uh, he seems like he'd be a little needy. Uh, but I guess they're kind of like the equivalent of it's like a like, pit crew band members or cheerleaders that they they always get to see the action 
you know, but they don't have like a super direct hand in what's actually going on. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but regardless, uh, while he's trying to cool off, it seems like Pop is headed their way uh, because Tsukawachi is able to hear that the song that Pop is singing is headed their way along with all of these explosions. So he's like, guys, we got to get out of here right now. Like while you're cooling off, you know, we, we just got to get away. And Endeavor doesn't like this at all. I think he's like, no, we, we need to stay here. You know, he says Pop Step and the Crawler, uh, you know, give me five minutes. Let me heal up, and then I am going to fire up and incinerate everything. No mistakes, both of them. So he's ready to just take out everything, like, in a five-mile radius, it seems like. Um, and while he's cooling off, we, we do see some more sirens go off. And you're right, she's sitting up on the, the top of this building. It looks like kind of siren. What would you say her name is? Mokoichi? Her, yeah, Mo. Uh, Mo Kamiji, yeah. Mo Kamiji. She, or probably Moe, I would Moe. guess. I don't know. I don't speak Japanese. That's fair. She's up on the on, up on the roof here, sirening off some more. And this is where that cheat sheet comes out. So Compass Kid pulls it out, and he's like, oh, yeah, this particular siren means uh, go watch the villain, I believe. And he's like, oh, catch. well, catch the villain. Yeah, not watch. Sorry. Go catch the villain, I believe. Uh, back to square one. And, and this is where Rock starts to kind of figure some stuff out. He's like, okay, so Endeavor's on the job. He can't really keep just firing off these like fire tornadoes. Uh, we're going to have to give him about five minutes. And in that case, which is oddly specific, it is oddly specific. Yeah. I thought that it was kind of weird that he knew that level of it. Yeah. But maybe he's maybe they've, there have been multiple ones and he's timed them. I don't know. That's the only thing I could think of. That's I mean, that could have been I think maybe only one was depicted, but is one of that particular move enough to take him out for five minutes? Possibly. I mean, this is the first time that we're seeing it and it, it was colossal on scale. Yeah. I mean, it was a very big attack. Yeah, no joke. I mean, it looked like it traversed several blocks of that town. So, uh, but they decide compass kid and rock to go off and see if they can't find this villain. Uh, you know, they're, tr they're trying to get in and, and take care of this when a couple of bees show up and they're the little bomb bees. And one is right in front of compass kids face, but it, instead of blowing up, it is instead popped. Um, and so are several others in the immediate vicinity of other heroes on the scene's head. And we see that it's Koichi who is sliding, gliding through the scene and using his shooty go kablam uh, to pop all these bees as he's traversing past all these heroes. And he's doing that, which is pretty cool. The only time that we really saw, saw him practicing with targets, he was a stationary and so too were the targets. But now he's on the move. These are moving targets and they're quite small. Um, but even at what could possibly be his top speed, he's, he's quite the sharpshooter with this uh, on, on this particular series of, of pages. Yeah, we get a quick explanation of Soga telling him, like, you know, you don't have to shoot at the people. You just have to hit these bees. Take out the bees that come at your way with your shooty kablam and slip past all of these folks. And then when you get towards a swarm, use this. And he hands them, like, some, it looks kind of like a smoke bomb or, like, some C4. And uh, he basically is going to smoke out that swarm so he can make it past them. And it's, it's full, full of these pheromones that are just attracting the bees away from Koichi. So Koichi's able to get in and, and basically get a, a hold of some of these uh, heroes' attention. Like, he's running past them or jumping over them in one scene. So they start following him. And this is part of Soga's plan. He's like, you know, when Pop's B forces have taken a hit, that's when you and the heroes surround her. But at the last second, you grab her and force your way out of the ring, getting away with Pop. And as we're hearing this be explained to us, and Koichi is actively doing the saving, we see Six kind of like piecing everything together. Like he's popped away from Compass Kid for a second, 
put all the pieces together and has decided to stop this plan before it can even take place. He, he decides he wants to open up an escape route for dear little pop as he sings it with his little music notes. There are a lot of random music notes in these chapters again. Yeah, especially in, yeah, especially with his, um, they're pretty characteristic of Six's dialogue. Um, the way that it's depicted as him piecing this together, it almost is presented as if he had overheard all of this, which is an impossibility because this is like taking place in the past. Yeah. Yeah. As the scene is ongoing, we're treated to flashback explanatory panels of Soga's plan. And we had seen one of these little pheromone bombs before, uh, when, Knuckle Duster was uh, trying to remove the queen bee from his daughter. Originally, he used one of these and then ex- and then threw another explosive to that. At the time, he thought that got all of the bees, but we know that at least one got out. Yeah, uh, that that six ended up collecting. Um, and and there's this other funny thing that takes place as Soga's explanation is is being delivered to us, the reader, is that in the background of one of these panels, you see wrapped in uh, Moyu, and they're they're basically goofing off or possibly having some sort of accident with this particular device, the pheromone bomb. You know, Rapt was messing it, with it. <laughs> they were, yeah, they were and, goofing. Well, <laughs> and we see, we see this happen for the, uh, the grappling hook later on too, that they're goofing off with it. And, uh, it's just really funny that they're, they're obviously like at some point we're playing around with these things and things went horribly wrong. Oh yeah. Um, at least briefly. But yeah, uh, his, his plan was to kind of lure these heroes around B and to surround her. And then he would swoop in and basically make his escape with her. But Six decides that the best way to create an opening for B, if that uh, that Circle O heroes does uh, actually get into place, is to just shoot the heroes in the head. And this is one of the very few times that we even see a gun in use in anything My Hero. Um, I was trying to think back. We know Snipe used them at USJ. Yeah. Uh, they made an appearance during the uh, the crab. Heist, the detectives shot at six and then six actually went and pulled all their triggers um, with his super speed. Uh, There was one other time that I was thinking somebody had used a gun. Surely Um, we saw some whenever they assaulted the Chia Zaikai. So I thought so too. But if, if my recollection of Hero Notes Pod is correct, one of the biggest things that they griped about for that particular arc was that the detectives went in there and they didn't use their guns. Huh, okay. Man, that's weird. I guess I just imagine that then. You know, I mean, it seems like that makes sense, so why would they not? But yeah, if they made a whole right. point of that, then surely. That's crazy. Yeah. This is pretty pretty dark, though, pretty violent, because, I mean, it's all yeah. happening in, like, less than a second. Like, we, and the panels, the way they display this was gruesome, because Koichi is running. He's got these heroes, like, on his tail. They're going after him, and we see the bang in a, in a, like, blood splatter and the hero falling. And then the next panel is the next hero, and then a third panel where there's a flying hero up next pop, and it gets shot. I mean, it's, it is brutal. So these heroes are just falling to the ground to their deaths around Compass Kid. And Compass Kid is like, what, what's going on here? And, and Rock pops up right behind him like, hey, what's going on? And Compass Kid is just like, oh, it's horrible. These heroes have been shot. There must be a second villain. Yeah, I so I figured out what the other gun thing was. It oh. was mustard. You remember uh, from the uh, assault at the summer camp, the, the gas guy that uh, Tetsu, 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 and Kendo got into a fight with That's was armed with right. a gun. That's right, he was. He, he, he shot Tetsu, Tetsu. 
Um, yeah, because he kind of times he kind of looked like a little correctly. like a World War One or World War Two uh, soldier or something. Because yeah, I remember he had like the gas mask yeah. on and everything, and then the the rifle. Yeah, because he wasn't immune to the the gas that he emitted. Right, it was one of the limitations of his quirk. And then have I I now stop if my to- if I've told this before or just let me tell it again. But have I ever told you about my idea for being simultaneously the most effective villain and the poorest hero ever? It sounds familiar, but remind me. Okay, it's exactly this. Sort of. Like, Rock is is kind of pulling this off, where the idea that I had uh, with a friend of mine is like, what would you do if you had Superman's powers? I said I would be the best villain and the worst hero at the same time. And he was like, well, how would you do that? And I said, it's super speed. You do your thing as a villain. You don't even have to do it quickly. You just have to leave quickly. But then you come immediately back onto that scene in a different costume and you're always like five seconds too late. And you're always like, oh, I just missed him again. And that's kind of what Rock does here. Yeah, it's exactly what he Rock shows does. back up behind Compass Kid after zooming off and, and popping all these heroes in the head. And he's just like, oh, no, what's going on? Like, that's exactly what uh, I had said I would do because I would be I would totally like I I'd definitely lean towards the dark side. That's that's no secret. Uh, and so Rock has pulled this maneuver off. And as you pointed out, Compass Kid is like, there must be another hero. And Rock tries to pin this on the crawler. He's like, maybe it was that guy that zoomed through here earlier. Compass Kid says, no, when he dashed by, he was aiding us. He wasn't hurting us. So he says, the person who attacked these heroes is someone else entirely. And then he begins to spin, comes to a stop, and both of his fingers are pointing right at Rock. Yeah, this is so crazy. And he's like, oh. And, and Rock just lowers his head and takes his hat off. And he says, yep. I mean, just admits right to it. He's not hes not worried about the Compass Kid knowing. He says, correct, you are, Compass. And he grabs him by the throat, throws him up against the, the uh, side of the wall here. And he, I mean, he really starts kind of bagging on him. I mean, he's just like, your wife and kids can go hang for all you care, huh? Because you just want to, you know, have fun. I mean, what kind of excuse is that? And, and he's like, that attitude of yours, I mean, what a loser. It really ticks me off. And he's, he's going in to kill this guy. And Compass Kid is just like, well... My family means the world to me. And Rock's like, well, you should have told me that first. Well, I mean, you know. I'd- yeah. <laughs> this is so weird because I did not have this reading of Compass Kid from a few chapters ago. Because what Compass Kid said was he, he was kind of laying it on Rock saying, that's how he's quoting his wife at this point. That's how you're using your day off. Turn down that hero gig. Take the kids somewhere. What good are you really? Just one of the rank and file. It's not, it's not like it even pays well. And he says, "Just does she just doesn't get it? That's not what justice is all about. Even if even if today's patrol turns up nothing, the peace of mind we can give to this uh, the people on the, of this town is well worth it in my book." But Rock read that way more selfishly than I thought that it came across. I, I mean, agree. He, he even at later on had said something like, "You know, he he admitted like hero work doesn't pay the bills. That's why I have a job that that puts food on the table." Like he wasn't dismissive of his family. I just think that he wanted to contribute in a larger way to society. And there was also, admittedly, the line about him just wanting to uh, do something that makes his kids proud. Which, if you're going to take issue, I, I guess maybe what Rock did was was glom onto that and the, the quotations from the mom and misconstrue that, in my reading of it at least, as, well, he doesn't care anything about his family. He's out here putting himself in, in at undue risk and not taking care of them. And I, I didn't get that reading at all. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was maybe kind of weird that Rock read it in, read into it that way. But ultimately, I think more than likely, he is someone that didn't have a family. He obviously is this weird attachment with 
the father figure that he got his quirk from, which is is Knuckle Duster. So I'm wondering if maybe he just sees someone that has what he considers kind of a worthless quirk, someone that's not really able to help, that's totally ditching his family to go and play his dreams of being a hero that he really isn't. Yeah, he's just out there doing his best, man. And I think that that's that's it's noble a, it's and valiant, even if it's even if it's a little misguided. Um, I just I don't I didn't think Rock had the right reading of Compass Kid. Um, but I, I, I've also, since I've said that, you know, I'm this Compass Kid enthusiast now, Compass Kid for Life, um, as the title of the last a- episode of the AMP reads, um, I know that there are some people that don't care for him and possibly their lack of care comes from Rock's understanding of what Compass Kid was, was doing actually. Sure. Or maybe I'm the misreader. I don't know. I think there's room for interpretation, obviously. Sure. I agree. Uh, well, Rock ends up singing to uh, poor Compass Kid that he's seen his true colors so he can't let him live. And then I guess he fries him. There's like a vom noise that's made here and he like dismembers his arm or his hand or something and it's on fire. So apparently Six also has a fire quirk. No, so the way that I read this anyway was he... He has he has the ability to make different parts of his body explosive. Remember, that's right. So I think he just makes his knuckles explosive, uh, and just punches them. And and the only thing that we see that remains of him, um, in panels anyway, is one pointing finger that comes to rest, still pointing at uh, at Rock Nomura. So at the very least, Rock has cut the Compass Kid's efficiency down somewhere between 25 and 33%, depending on whether or not he's in a pool. Jeez. <laughs> but he's probably dead. He's... <laughs> yep, he probably is. And he now claims to have set the stage for pop. He says, your stage is set. Everyone is here to see your final and greatest performance. As she like lands on this water tower, it looks like, just viewing Koichi as he's climbing up this series of... Uh, uh, buildings trying to get to her. So the the final showdown between them is coming up next. And episode 81 is appropriately enough titled versus B-Star Pop or just B-Pop, depending on how you read these things. And I super like the way that this chapter starts off. It's it's we've we've taken issue with flashbacks and their presentation in uh, some some recent episodes of Vigilantes. But I thought this one was really well done, in part because the background to them is all swirly. So you know that this, I mean, there are obvious contextual clues that clue you in that this isn't uh, reality anyway, besides that background. But the background is indicative anyway, in ways that some of the other flashbacks and whatnot were presented. But we get to see a little bit of what Pop Star Step might have thought life with Koichi could have been if it weren't for circumstances bending the way that they were currently going. Yeah, I really like these because it's got like a quick scene of them. It seems like they're eating lunch or dinner somewhere, uh, probably at the Hoda Brothers not, place. Not just yeah, somewhere, it's, it's the man. Hoda Brothers place. The Cat Cafe slash uh, Villain Rehabilitation Clinic. Yeah, because so, some of these they're serving. Tarou's they're serving, and the the um, Thomas the Tank Engine villain and the dog villain are also there, and they're like friends. Okay, so so yeah, I wanted to talk about this because as much crap as we were given the Thomas the Tank Engine dude. The dude that you're saying looks like the dog, he is also a trainer. Yeah. And I I totally forgot about him. And I can't, like, uh, I found plenty of references where Thomas the Tank showed up in episode 44 of Vigilantes. I couldn't figure out quickly where this guy's appearance was, but he's in Vigilantes running through the streets shouting choo-choo and chugga-chugga as he's 
racing behind Koichi. So they're both train bros. Well, and not only that, <laughs> but like in this panel, they're sitting down at a table eating and it looks like they're drinking coffee together. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they must have fully functional stomachs and everything. It's just their like faces are train pieces. They do refer to him as the crawler, though. They do. They do. The weirder thing to me, though, is, is that they don't, at least the Thomas the Tank Engine guy, doesn't look any different than when he was on Trigger. He's just not angry. So was yeah. he actually a villain? You know what I mean? Do we know? Or alternatively, this is my explanation for for that, but it makes it a stranger explanation for why they would call him the crawler, possibly. But this is this is pop step imagining or dreaming, right? Sure. Maybe the only time that Pop ever saw Thomas the Tank was on Trigger, and so this is the only that's the only image that she had to base these images on. Okay, that makes a lot but more sense. But then it makes it makes it even funnier that she has them still calling Koichi the crawler. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Because at this point... Like, because she knows better. Yeah, not only does she know better, but at this point, it seems like they're almost more prevalent vigilantes. Like, they're they're getting kind of hit up by one of the Hoda brothers saying like, hey, you know, crawler, there's a villain near the station. Uh, you need to get on it. So him and, and Pop are going to change into their hero outfits. And she makes the comment like, hey, aren't you supposed to have been retired from all this? And he says, yeah, but they came out with a new All Might hoodie. So, and that's when they're like waving to these villains. So you're right. I think you're right. That totally makes sense. That's the only idea she would have had of them. And then the next scene that we have is them aged up a little bit. Um, at this point in this dream sequence or imagination, trip to imagination, uh, Pop and Koichi are presumably married. They definitely have two kids. Um, and one of them has fished what she calls her mom's bathing suit out of the closet. And I got to talk about this for a second because this is a small child. I know. Holding up Pop Steps costume. And it like it could fit this child. And Pop was like a teenager, like a late teenager when she was wearing this thing. Yeah. I didn't think it was that small. It must be super stretchy. I, that's the only thing I can think of. Like, I, it was really strange to me, too, because I would peg this child at like maybe four years old, maybe. And the outfit that she is holding up is literally looks like it could fit her. And I'm like, OK, Pop's supposed to be 17. So or 17, 18 ish. I think we've talked about, you know, it's just weird. <laughs> Yeah, I do like Koichi a in these. Strange, though. How small it was. Koichi's like totally. You know I said I like the way Koichi looks in these, though. Like he's totally just dadding out. Like he just looks like a dad. Yeah, yeah. Especially in the next series. Um, so we we zoom forward even further. Now the two kids are older. One of them seems to be based on her attitude in her teens somewhere. Yeah. Um, the way that she's kind of back talking and and snapping at Pop and Koichi, but Pop, yeah, or Koichi is just a hundred percent dad, just sitting on this couch in khakis and a polo shirt. <laughs> Um, but the, the daughter's name is Manaha, we find out. And I looked, I looked up both of their names. So Manaha is the name of the, the girl. And I couldn't find what the actual kanji is for her name in this series, Mm -hmm. because there isn't like a specific entry for her. She's just listed as Manaha, like the English phonetic write out of what her name is in Japanese. So her name could mean, uh, loves film, like, um, like movie film. Which would make sense because she's basically lobbying to be a really serious actress and get into show business, or loves spring, as in the, uh, the not not the thing in your bed, but the actual season, the thing that is making my life in absolute misery right now. <laughs> All the allergies because of allergies. Yeah, yeah. and then um, the son's name is Ippo or Ippo I P P O, and his name either uh, just means one step. Um, Either way that the kanji fall, it just means one step, which is kind of cool. Hmm, okay. 
Yeah, this is a good scene though. You're right. She's the the daughter's trying to like talk about how she wants to make it in the Hollywood world, kind of. And you know, Papa's like, "Oh, I kind of dabbled in this stuff." And she's like, "Yeah, it was just a hobby for you, Mom. I wanted to be serious for me, like totally, totally thinking like, you know, I don't want to just be the neighborhood celebrity. Like, I want to be a real celebrity." And uh, Koichi and Pop are looking very happily on their past. And and every single one of these sequences at the very end, there's like this black box with white text that says, that could have been our future. And at the end of this one, it says, but, nah, there's no future left for me at all. I made my bed, so now it's time to lie in it. Moving on to today's big surprise, it's a new single. And she starts singing a new song that she calls Bloom, and it is focused right at Koichi. And I want to take, normally we save our segments for the the end of the episode, but I want to insert it here. Okay. So previously, one of the things that uh, Endeavor was so hot-headed about was he took he took umbrage at the fact that she, that Pop Step slash B-Step had appropriated the term Inferno with her first song that she was singing on this particular scene, and he disliked it heartily. And now she's got this new song called Bloom. And I feel like there's some missed opportunities here, uh, especially given some of the naming conventions that we're very familiar with inside of uh, My Hero and also Vigilantes. So I thought that Adam and I could have a little bit of fun by talking about some song titles that Pop could have gone with that would have been a little bit more thematic, a little bit more on the nose, maybe would have lend, uh, landed her in a little less hot water with Endeavor. <laughs> Now, this is going to be hard for you. These are going to be punny, I feel like, and you're not normally all of, the puns. Almost all of mine are, yeah. Do you want to do, uh, like, I'll do one and you do one? How about, I'll start with a couple that um, are are pretty easy. They're layups. So, like, one of them, most of the titles I ended up tweaking just a tad, changing out a word or or even a syllable of a word. All of mine uh, are like the, that, so that's fine. So, <laughs> the first two that I have aren't like that, though. So, I had uh, Grand Funk Railroad has a song called Queen Bee, obvious. Okay, Should, yeah. That, that was a layup. I also had that she could have gone with anything by Sting or the Bee Gees and been fine. Yeah, I changed one of mine was Staying in the Hive by the Bee Gees. Okay, nice. Yeah, and then I've got <laughs> Symph Honey of Destruction by Megadeth. Okay. A uh, whole lot of buzzing going on by Jerry B. Lewis. Okay. <laughs> I, this one I played around with quite a bit. Uh, Pop is a Beekeeper by Hivus. Do you get uh. that reference? Uh-uh, I don't. Jerry is a race car driver by Primus. Okay. <laughs> and then of transformed course, a whole lot of that one. There's Creedence Clearwater Revival. I heard it through the beehive. Nice. Oh, that one's excellent. <laughs> I hate it, but exactly. I love it at the same time. Do you have any more? Nope, that's it. Okay, so here are mine. She could, she could have gone with Let's Get Ready to Bumble from the Space Jam soundtrack. Oh, no. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> she could have gone with Mo Honey Mo Problems by the Notorious B.I.G. She could have just nice. sung Wannabe by the Space Girls and just slapped an extra E at the end. Spice Girls. I said. <laughs> I think I said Space Girls. Wannabe E? Yeah. Um, she could have gone with Can't Help Pollen in Love with You by Elvis Presley. Yikes. Or Hive Got the Power by Snap. <laughs> and this one's a little bit of a okay. stretch. There's, a, there's an ACDC song that is technically, I think its title is Hair the Dog, but the alternative title is or could be for, for the purposes of this particular uh, panel and music, uh, musical performance could have been Son of a Beach. Oh, I like that. That's funny. So, <laughs> That's good. Adam, before we move on, I want to ask you two questions. Okay. First one. If Midori was an insect, what kind of insect would he be? <laughs> I don't know. What would he be? A mumblebee. 
Oh yikes! <laughs> okay, I, I can see that one. What does uh, what is Pop Step's favorite musical artist? Beyonce. <laughs> I feel like that one I should have picked up on. That one should have been easy. <laughs> All right, I'm done. That's funny. That's the end of the segment. Okay. We're, we got to move away from the puns before it becomes more part of who I am. Yikes! Yeah, we can't let you get too punny. We don't know what'll happen. No. It's it's punishment enough for all of us. <laughs> I slipped one more in there. I hear you I know. quietly I, laughing. I'm, try, I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop now. <laughs> <laughs> but we get an explanation from Soga that he believes that the songs actually affect the bees, that otherwise when when bee pop isn't singing, that the bees are acting on natural instinct, um, are largely autonomous, but but when she sings uh, they switch into attack mode, and that is ex- exactly what they do. They start um, flying in earnest right at Koichi's face and blowing up big time. This is really interesting, too, because the way he describes this sounds almost like organic AI, basically. Like, it's it's like some sort of maybe experiment that Six or someone was working on that they've they've programmed these. They are controlling them. Well, not controlling them directly, but they've given them code to follow. And then the song is what directs them to do her bidding or it kind of like takes over for a moment. And I feel like this is something I've actually seen in other series and shows like black mirror has an episode similar to this, I think where something kind of like this has been taking place. So I thought it was kind of cool to see a little bit more about this. Like the, the B thing still really intrigues me. Yeah. It's a very interesting quirk question mark. I feel like it's kind of in the same category as dark shadow is in my mind like an infestation slash it's just it's like a separate entity yeah really. yeah. yeah it's very strange yeah. but it's very very interesting and you, you, it is you cannot rob it of its interest that's for sure so no so they end up going into like full-blown battle mode i mean it's pretty cool like this i feel like this fight animated would be wicked like it reminds me of something out of a jrpg where it looks like he or koichi is like sliding down the side of this building as pop is running up it and they're coming at each other while she's singing this really emotional song that's really kind of dark uh and and sad and and it's actually described as lonely i think by some of the listeners that are watching i guess through the news or maybe they can hear her singing she might still have those like b amplifier things going on yeah but this is where Squouchy is able to see, like, hey, there's definitely a battle going on between Koichi and Pop. This isn't this isn't just like all one sided. Something's happening here. He even describes it as a game of tag. But Endeavor's like, it doesn't matter, dude. Just give up. The second my cooldown's over, I'm putting an end to these villains' playtime. Uh, but then we get like the X Men and the Hoda brothers that that are talking about this song and how they actually really like it. Yeah. I think it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Cyclops is like, it's a real bop. And it, or uh, no, this is one of the Hood brothers who's saying that. And uh, yeah, he's like, it's a real bop. To- and he's, he's almost, Tururo's like, hell yeah. Yeah. He's almost frustrated to admit that this destructive song, this sad and lonely song is one of the, one of the twins describes it uh, is apparently thumps. So maybe, maybe if this ever makes it into the anime, we'll get to see, how they interpret this musically, but we shift away from lyrics, um, which have been animated inside of caption bubbles into more free floating text, which is thought, I think, um, from, mm-hmm. that's what I from thought from B pop. And she's like, they, they have to understand this now, you know, now that I've lost my chance at all those beautiful memories that we were treated to at the beginning of this particular chapter, this is the moment when I'll shine brighter than ever. She says, "Before the uh, before the setting sun, I'll shatter into tiny shards of glass that pierce your heart." This is this is the final performance, and it all ends here. And 
uh, Sukauchi and Endeavor are watching this, and Sukauchi's like, huh, it looks like they're gathering around her, and Endeavor wonders aloud if, if she's going to blow herself up, and she kind of has this this final thought as we near the end of this uh, this episode where she says, every time you glimpse a sunset, you'll remember the girl you couldn't save. That's my dream. So her, we were treated with Pop Step's dreams, I think, at the beginning of this chapter. And now we have like the entity inside of Pop, that twisted part of her, saying that this is what her dream is now, to basically make Koichi a, a miserable human being every day as he sees a, a sunset. Uh, but Koichi, as he's plummeting, presumably to his death, uh, he whips out that grappling hook, managed, manages to get it to the top of the building. Uh, and this is where we see, again, you see, like, Rapt playing around with it and Moyu running away from him. Uh, mm-hmm. As they explain that this was a device that Knuckle Duster used. And he he was like, he they used it, or excuse me, Knuckle Duster used it really well. And they were like, well, you know, you're not going to be a whiz at it immediately. But you'll have to figure this thing out. It's a it's a useful tool in your arsenal. And he actually uses it to kind of triple jump uh, as he's presumably holding his breath. That thing is still weird to me uh, up towards pop. Yeah, it's pretty cool because you can see like in the animation, the platforms where the triple jump happened. So he he's jumping up to her, screaming her name. And we transition to a panel where it's like zoomed in on the one eye that she has as not infected by the queen bee. And she's crying and she starts to say Koichi. And as she does, she gets hit in the back by a gunshot. Gunshot goes off, slams right in the back. Or her and uh, Koichi both look like really shocked. And Six is on the ground and he says, My dear Pop, since you seem to have lost sight of your dream, let me give you a nudge from behind because I'm your biggest fan and I haven't given up on your dream yet. And that is the end of chapter 81. And that will take us into chapter 82, which resumes exactly where we left off. Before we even get to the title page, we have uh, Pop descending and Koichi in hot pursuit uh, as, as he's trying to figure out what's going on. And then we have this cool page where Koichi has angled himself down. He's diving head first and he's using his, uh, his quirk to basically create what look like like rocket propelled boots he's trying to increase his speed so that he can make it to pop before she impacts with the ground and this is where we're treated with the episode title which is high speed hero 2 yeah this is pretty sweet because he grabs her like right before she was going to hit the ground and does like the spin maneuver and then lands perfectly like crushes into the ground i mean this is a this is another koichi you know what i mean this is not the koichi we knew a couple weeks ago not uh, physically. Let alone the one from the beginning. Yeah, not physically, um, but I do think as far as like motivations and effort is concerned, this is this is the Koichi we've always known, but he's absolutely he's capable of so much more now. He's leveled up a huge amount. I mean, it's crazy. So he he lands perfectly. He's able to catch like a glimpse of her breathing. He knows that she's still alive, but they've got to get her treated ASAP. And as he's starting to take off, like out of the corner of his eye, he sees uh, Rock Nomura walking down the alleyway and he's in his like coat, like his jacket and everything. And he's slowly taking things off. And Koichi's just like, uh, you know, do you mind letting me go through here? Like she's in bad shape. Someone just shot her in the back. She needs special treatment. And Rock is just like, oh, yeah, that's shooter was me i shot her with one of these rounds yep it's a it's a little baby syringe filled with a drug that controls the bees and uh he goes desperate times desperate measures am i right and koichi's like yeah makes sense to me i mean it i don't know if this is just koichi playing dumb or what but it's it's almost like he's not even 
giving Rock the time of day. Yeah, his guard is way down. I mean, if somebody had said, filled with a drug that controls the bees, I'd have been like, well, how the crap did you know what kind of drug, yeah. you know, like I would have been like immediately yeah. suspicious, but Koichi's a little preoccupied in his defense. He's trying to get his phone to work so that he can get a hold of uh, medical emergency staff or, or get evacuation to, to work. Whatever. I assumed it was trying to get with Soga because they are the ones that were going to treat yeah, her. Yeah. Right. So that Soga can remove this thing. And six continues to talk kind of over Koichi saying that, you know, she's cute as a button. It's, she's, it's like a tale of a tragic damsel in distress. And as he's saying this, he starts to remove this coat and, and don a mask. And he says, what, I mean, what if it turned out that the true villain was manipulating her from the shadows, trying to destroy her? Now that'd be unforgivable or unforgettable, wouldn't it? Oh, it is unforgivable. Um, and then she, he says, yeah, sure. But I'm trying to make a call. And he says, well, I think that villain here is you. And the hero who's going to set things right is me. O'clock two. I'm going to beat you to the pulp uh, with the fists of justice. And Koichi's just like, uh, huh? I mean, he, he totally seems so thrown off by this. Six has got this all set up, though. This seems like his plan the whole time. I mean, he even tried to blame Koichi on being the villain in the last episode with with uh, uh, Compass Kid. So he was trying to set this name. up. I mean, eh. I bet I bet Six doesn't remember him. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he starts singing and it's really funny because he like he goes through this whole spiel about how he's gonna beat him to a pulp with his fist of justice, and then he's like, or something like that. Uh did I nail that whole routine or what? And then he says, Two reasons, guy. Any idea why I'm droning on and on? First off, every hero needs a good story behind them and a villain that they're like bound to by fate, tied to by destiny pretty sure that kind of stuff is essential that whole relationship and their communication and koichi's like dude you lost me forever ago and i don't have time for this and uh so i mean this guy he's just got it all set up he's gonna pin this all on koichi he's gonna let pop step die and he tells him like well i i shot her with this drug that is going to tell all the bees to come back home basically and make them super eager to just self-destruct and so he explains that this is it. Like he is going to make sure that Pop dies. This is a big spectacle and he saves the day. And Koichi just must have figured it all out and just zooms off. Yeah, right after uh, Six explains that it's a tool meant to clean up the whole experiment, swarm and host included, he engages his slide and glide and starts to haul butt away from this particular scene as the explosions erupt behind him. He's already turned a corner, actually, if you are kind of looking at this uh this panel at the top of the page. Yeah, you're right. He has. And, uh, so he's, he's hauling butt and he's like, you know, I, I can't fight this guy while I'm holding pop. There's this weird drug in her. I don't even know who this dude is. We just got to get to Soka. That's his, that's his goal. And six is watching this from the rooftop and he's actually kind of cheering Koichi on a little bit. He's saying, you know, make this flashy. I want this to, to be as, as noticed and as bombastic and as spectacular in the sense of being a big spectacle as possible. And once all eyes are on you, as these explosions are following him, as the bombies are trying to get back to B-pop as their host, he's up on a, uh, on a rooftop reveling in all this saying, you know, the bigger this becomes, the, the greater my legend basically will be. And we get this cool panel. He actually looks like Nightwing in this panel when he's holding B-pop's body. Uh, he totally does. Yeah. So he says the sorrowful debut battle of the newest hero, O'Clock Two. He swore on her wretched soul never to let such a thing happen again. That's the theme I'm going to go with, and that's the big. That's this hero's cross to bear, and who wouldn't be an instant fan of that? And it, you get the sense through all of this that not only was all of this very premeditated, 
but it was it was rehearsed like that he's stood in front of a mirror practiced this uh verbally in front of in front of this mirror kind of getting giving himself liner notes that's why he asked koichi if he nailed it earlier that this is something that he has rehearsed not just planned uh which is really interesting to me but he he starts to see that koichi might be throwing a potential wrench in all this as he's moving very quickly out of the patrol area which is to say out of range of all of the eyes uh, that would be upon his 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 big debut so here's a couple of things that i had noted for this if all of this is as premeditated as it sounds we know that he would have to have a hero license to be able to step in and like be the hero that saves the day correct otherwise someone would like look into this and be like well dude who are you you know what i mean we know he has a hero license but do you think that hero license is registered as like o'clock two or do you think it's registered as Rock Nomura and, and he's just going to like switch names? I'm just like, there's so much behind this from a, I don't know, like I want to say like a certification standpoint, like a legal standpoint where like surely there's some license that exists in some database that's aware of who this guy is. It just surprises me that he's been able to keep it under wraps this long. I wonder if it's more like those licenses are tied to your given name and not to your hero name. And so if he gave his name as Rock Nomura, that that's what his license reads, just like endeavors wouldn't read the flame hero endeavor or whatever his name is it would be you know whatever t- uh what is it uh something todoroki in in indo todoroki maybe yeah that's fair that's true i guess i guess i'm just thinking like no one ever cross-referenced this ever like when he showed up to you know volunteer to help with this and compass kid was there surely they checked all of their licenses and made sure they were legit heroes and wouldn't he have to come out and say like, oh, I'm O'Clock 2 and these are my quirks? It just seems like there should be more on books about this guy if he was to go through with this plan. Like surely people wouldn't have just now have heard of him. Yeah, well, they might. This I think this could be the debut of O'Clock uh, 2, but maybe not. Maybe whatever he had to do to get his license would be registered for his given name. And uh, Endeavor's first name is NG, not Endo. Okay. I wonder if this is like wrestling, like where, you know how like wrestlers go through different phases, I think, like depending on their storyline or something. Right, like yeah. I know uh, Undertaker has had multiple iterations of the Undertaker. Like there's like the American badass Undertaker, you know, when he's like on his chopper and stuff. And then there's like the Undertaker. So I don't know. I just, I wonder if it's kind of like that, like heroes reinvent themselves or something. This just sort of begged a lot of questions for me. I thought it was kind of, I don't know. I feel like there were kind of some loopholes here. But anyways, once he notices that Koichi is getting outside of his area of uh, uh, viewership, we'll say, uh, he he decides to get in on it. And it's funny because he starts singing here. He's like, let's wrap this up, Kay. And uh, he jumps in and it's funny because he starts to strike, but then he's like not in range anymore. And he's like, what is going on? Like, I don't know if my positioning's off or if I can't keep up. What's happening here? And he realizes that Koichi's sliding glide or the force fields near his feet are actually changing back and forth. And Koichi notices him coming up on him and he speeds off. And uh, we get in like big bold letters, extra oomph. So I wonder if this is like one of Koichi's... Super moves. It yeah. is. I, I checked it on the wiki. This is listed as a That's super awesome. move of Koichi's. That's awesome. So he, he's got a new super move where he's able to just kind of like oomph out of there. Uh, and this takes six by surprise. I don't think he was expecting for someone to be able to like outpace him at all. Yeah, he's he's definitely uh, a little little shocked by this, but not totally deterred. Uh, he, instead, this kind of psychs him up a little bit. He says that feels like it's cheating and cheaters get punished. So he 
He says, you know, if you're expecting an attack from above, then it seems like the smartest thing to do is just attack you from behind. So he begins to close again at full speed, and he's closing this gap on Koichi, but that's not the only person that he's drawing closer to, as the final page of this episode is the two of them, presumably. it's You, you can't see, like, in the panels preceding the, the reveal that Endeavor is in the middle of the, the road ahead. You do get... Um, you don't see Endeavor in any of those panels. So I assume Koichi is also heading in that direction and O'Clock too is right behind him. Yeah, because Endeavor says, you villainous dirt bags, cool rounds over. Yeah. So I'm assuming that like we're seeing Endeavor from Koichi's perspective, whereas the past three panels have been kind of like third eye, like bird eye's view kind of on six. So, Well, Endeavor is standing right in the middle of uh, the the roadway here that the two of them are presumably racing down. And he is flanked again by those who are uh, at the ready with their fire extinguishers. So should he need to be extinguished once again, that's, this is their reappearance here. Is that them on the left? Cause on the right, it just looks like normal civilians. And I, I had in my notes, I was like, did his sidekicks literally not get everybody? Because I feel like that's what they were doing. Yeah. They're, the, but I if think you're saying that that's, that's all of them. You okay. can see that okay. one of them on the right in particular has got what looks to be like a canister of some kind in his hands. That's fair. So I guess he's probably standing there with them. They've come up on him and he's like flaming on or something. Yeah. That makes more sense. I thought those were civilians. So I was like, man, they did a piss poor job earlier. Oh, Endeavor <laughs> would be furious if they were civilians. He was already Can mad that there was one person on the scene, let alone three stragglers that, that, that they had somehow missed, three or four. Exactly. I was going to say, can you imagine like having to fail or having failed at your job and your boss being Endeavor? Yeah. Like, just, just quit. Don't even show up. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't want to face him down for uh, an evaluation that I was pretty confident I had failed. Yeah. Well, that, that brings us to an end of these four chapters. I mean, I'm excited to see what happens. We're, we're really... This has gotten nuts. I never expected to see Endeavor fighting Pop Step and Koichi, like, ever. Uh, so the fact that we've gotten so much of him in these past couple chapters has been pretty cool. Yeah, and we are nearing, obviously, we're, we're heading to the, the climactic finish to this particular arc. We will, next week, going live on the 29th, we'll cover episodes 83, 84, and 85, which should bring us to the end of the final performance arc. Looking forward to it. I'm excited to see see what happens at the end of this arc. And not only that, I'm kind of excited to see what happens after. I mean... It seems like we're assuming Pop survives all this. We're going to get a whole new era of like Pop and Koichi teamwork. I'm curious to see what the fallout is between Koichi's confrontation with Endeavor as well. Like, how does this yeah. end for Koichi? Because now you've got a very determined hero on the scene who is who has been told that this person is a vigilante. How does Koichi walk away from this? Uh, not just alive, but outside of captivity. How is he yeah, not brought in point. by Endeavor? Yeah, because even if he does get away, I can't see Endeavor being the kind of hero to like back down and to be like, oh, well, that's the one that got away. Right. You know, like th- this is something that like he would have a room with maps and like string pointing all over the place trying to find this one guy that got away. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm right there with you. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of fallout happens here. Well, we will bring an end to the final performance arc in the very next episode of the AMP. And that will again go live on the 29th, and we will very quickly chase that episode with our coverage of the very first episode of Season 5 of the anime that is debuting in just a few short days.
yeah, I'm really excited for this new season. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. I think uh, we got a lot of what it seems like class B, uh, class one yes. B, and class one A are are either going at it or teaming up. So I think I think they're going to be in conflict with one another for some reason or another. Possibly just a class on class showcase showdown kind of thing. Uh, I don't really care. I I've been wanting more of class one B forever. And on top of that, some of the promotional images for this season uh, that we had shared on the Twitter uh, when these things went live, it's been weeks or possibly even months ago, Shinso has moved up into class 1B, probably. I don't think he joins 1A, but he's definitely involved in this conflict. And uh, we 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 kind of dug Shinso. I'm, I'm very excited to have more of him as well. I'm actually rewatching uh, My Hero right now, trying to get prepped for season five to come out. And I'm in that that season where they're doing the uh, the big tournament, or it's not a tournament, it's the festival, uh, the UA Sports Festival. And he's showing off his powers in the episode that I just watched. And I'm like, man, he's su- he's such a cool character. Like when he when he steps down off that stage, and all of the heroes were just like, that's a really cool quirk. Well, I can see how we could use that, you know. And he kind of gets that confidence boost. Uh, so I'm I'm really really excited to see him in this season. Yeah, because you remember one of his things. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I have not rewatched any of this stuff. But one of his big hangups was that he felt like he got strapped with a villain's quirk, uh, yep. in that in that it wasn't very effective in the very specific test of uh, deactivating robots to get into uh, the hero class itself. And so he had an opportunity to prove them wrong a little bit at the festival, and he did. I mean, he mind controlled the heck out of. All of that. I mean, you remember the he, he used it in the cavalry battles and all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. to great yeah, effect. That's how they were able to able to, to win the cavalry battle at all. He just convinced everybody to give him his stuff. That's right. So, and, and so now it seems like he's getting his chance. And it seemed like he was wearing like Aizawa's goggles and maybe a scarf. So I wonder if Aizawa's been working with him on the side. I don't think he's wearing goggles. I think he's wearing some sort of like lower facial cowl of some was? kind that covers over his mouth. Okay. Um, I would imagine maybe that's because you, he doesn't, maybe it's kind of like, you know, Aizawa wears the goggles so that villains don't know who it is that he's targeting. So maybe Shinso's doing the same kind of thing where he doesn't want people to know that it's him talking so that they respond. Maybe that's what it that is. Maybe it just masks yeah. his, his, the movement of his mouth so that he, he has a greater chance to have them respond and, and trigger his quirk. Whatever Man, it is. If he had the ability to throw his voice, like become like a puppeteer, that would be incredible. Like, yeah. I feel like that could be really advantageous. Maybe that uh, maybe I, that little facial thing does that. Maybe it gives him that that kind of capability. I mean, we know that the people that uh, engineer the equipment are very creative. That's true. Yeah. Man, imagine if Hatsume could get a hold of, like, some gear for him. I'm sure he'd be blowing up all over the place or something. <laughs> I mean, she might have made this thing. Her and Power Loader She won. might have. That's true. That's true. Man, that fight with him is also when we see all of the individual uh, one-for-all Core holders mm-hmm. like appear to Deku, so I'm kind of interested in seeing if any of that comes out this season as well. Because we, you know, we've touched on that in the movie now at this point, which we know takes place after this season. But still, I mean, it's got to lead up to that to some extent. Man, there is a lot to look forward to inside of this fandom, and the more stuff that exists between us and having to review my hero socks from Hot Topic, the better. I absolutely agree. With that, I think we'll see everybody next week. See you guys. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. 
You can follow us on Twitter at AlmightyPod or follow at BackPatioNet for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash BackPatioNetwork. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O.